Um, I moved to Chicago in 2006 with my husband to start a family, and he was a pastor, and we led a church together. And then in 2013, my marriage failed. I lost my, my husband, I lost my church, I lost my pastor, I lost my extended family and my friends. I had to, I had to start over. So when I had to kind of regroup and reboot and rebuild my life, um, part of that was getting back into dance. So I was invited to an open house for a dance company in Wicker Park. And one of my choreographers one day was wearing a t-shirt that said Soul City Kids Camp. We were trying on a different church and it wasn't really the best fit. Um, and there was one Sunday where we were probably about 45 minutes late and I was driving around thinking like, my kids are all ready to go to church. I can't waste all of this effort and energy. And then I remembered Erica and that t-shirt. We got here to Soul City and um, I brought my kids upstairs to Soul City Kids. I was waiting for the tantrums. I was waiting for the clinging, for the crying, for the whining, and that never happened. And Jeannie um, delivered the last sermon in a series on relationships. And that last sermon spoke about um, divorce and healing and that some things need to end and it's okay. I heard God's voice that day. I heard God speaking through Jeannie and it was so powerful. I just started crying and I started sobbing and I was so embarrassed because I don't enjoy crying in front of people, but it happened. And I heard God say, it's okay. Octavia, you're home. This is where you need to be. And we never left. My kids love it here. I love it here. I've been able to plug in and use my talents to give back, to give back to a church that has helped heal me in so many ways just by seeing me and loving me and really showing me that never-ending love that is God's love. I'm for the love because God's love has been for me. Because where man's love, where human's love is rejected and abandoned, God's love doesn't do that. God's love is never ending. It is unconditional. And that love is why I'm here. celebrate Octavia's story. We celebrate you, Octavia, because while her story is playing on the screen, Octavia is actually serving down here in the front row today. So we love you. We see you. We love your boys. And we love that this has become your spiritual home. So can we bless and love Octavia this morning? And, and you hate this much attention. So this is awesome. So we're just going to keep it going the rest of the day. Uh, I uh, am so glad to be with you. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and uh, we are in kind of an incredible run as a church. Uh, last weekend, I don't know if you heard or saw, uh, we had a groundbreaking celebration that was just unbelievable and so beautiful to come out and to mark the land and to really pray and say, God, this is for you. We are for the love. And we had a moment to pray in every direction, northeast, southwest. We prayed for our neighbors. We prayed for the city. We prayed for our elected officials. I mean, it was a powerful 
beautiful time for us on the land. And as if that wasn't enough, uh, the week before that, we're just coming off of baptizing 42 people in one Sunday. It's an incredible day. Uh, so all that to say, uh, today is just going to be a huge letdown. <laughs> I just want us to be honest about it in the very beginning. I've worked really hard. I'm going to do my best, but it's not even going to come close to the last two Sundays. So let's really just try and make it work. So um, we're actually kicking off a brand new teaching series. I love when we kick off a new teaching series, and this is called Defining Moments. We're looking at three different moments in the life of Jesus, specifically in the life of others that they had with Jesus and how their interaction with Jesus defined their lives and the lives of those around them. And a movement like the Jesus movement, like this Christian movement that has survived 2,000 years is marked by moments. Movements are always marked by moments. And you'll either mark your moments so you see God move in your life or you'll miss them. And so we don't want to miss them. We don't want to miss any single uh, one of them. So that's why I'm so excited for us today. We are going to be looking at a yes moment that someone had with Jesus. So it got me thinking about uh, our yeses and how important they are. And I want you to think about this. Have you ever had anything in your life that you said yes to that you should have said no to? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's maybe that's why you're at church, right? All right. I got it. So I got it. I got it. Got it. Got it. We all have our fair share of things that we said yes to that when we look back on it years later or moments after, oh, we should have said no to that. Like just by show of hands here and in the overflow space as well. Uh, who here's ever been on a bad date? Just a bad date. Just didn't work. Raise your hand. Yeah. All right. And if the person's still with you, praise God. That work. <laughs> he is a worker of miracles. Look at what happens, right? I've had those bad days where you just knew a couple minutes in, the, oh no, I should have said no to this. Have you ever offered to help a friend move and then halfway into the day or weekend, you realize I should have just said, I should have faked sick. I should have turned my phone off. You ever had one of those? I had one uh, friend when I was in college, he was married and he was moving and they uh, wanted to save money on their move. They didn't have a lot of money. They were just starting out married and and so he decided that instead of buying boxes, they would move everything in garbage bags. <laughs> True story. And so everything, clothes, books, everything was in these black garbage bags. And to save on a moving truck, he just wanted to use my car. And so we, I was up till two in the morning just driving loads back and forth. I really wish I would have said no in that moment. And just no to him as a friend in general. I just wish <laughs> I would have had the wisdom and foresight to do that. Uh, all right, so this is one, and just being honest, because you're in church, you might as well be honest. And I want you to be honest about this. I want you to raise your hand if at any point in the last year you've eaten at Taco Bell. If you've had Taco Bell in the last year, raise your hand. Friends, you should have said no. There's, if you have to wrap a taco in a Dorito, you should say no. You know, and that lets you know that you, it, it keeps letting you know that you should have said no. Right? We all have plenty of things in our life that we, gosh, we said yes to and we wish we wouldn't have. We should have said no. But what about the things in your life that you said no to that you wish you would have said yes to? See, we have more of those than we realize. The other ones, those first ones are always easy to find. And some of them are really hurtful, painful, fresh parts of our stories are always on the surface. You know you can identify those quickly. But it's the things that you said no to that you could have said yes to, those are the things that stay with us longer and go deeper and have the power to define our lives and our stories. Do you have any of those 
missed moments, any of those lost opportunities, any of those could have beens that you could have said yes to, but for whatever reason, you said no to it, and you wondered to this day what might have been different had you said yes. We all have those, more than we even realize. And in fact, when it comes to our relationship with God, oftentimes that's where we find them is that each of us at some level or another has felt maybe a tug or a nudge or a calling or a pulling from God to say yes to him. And then for whatever reason or reasons, we say no. All of us actually have those. No matter where you're at in your life with God, you may have been walking with him your whole life. You may be brand new to this whole faith thing. My sense is you've already had a feeling in your gut that you should do something. You know that you should say yes. You know that you should do it. But for whatever reason, you say No, and you wonder still what might have happened if you would have said yes. Maybe for you, it's very, very fresh. Maybe for you, it's, it's forgiving someone in your life. This is usually where we say no when we should say yes to forgiveness. And you've carried this with you for so many years and you're still holding out and you refuse to forgive them. You keep saying no to forgiveness. You keep saying no to forgiveness and you'd rather hold on to that sense of power that you have by saying no and you'd rather keep sort of all the bitterness and resentment with you rather than releasing that and trusting that to God. Forgiveness is a big place oftentimes we're invited to say yes but often we say no. Maybe for you it comes like we just experienced it a moment ago we received our offering something we do here every week at Soul City Church and every time there's a part of you maybe in you that goes oh, I want to do that or oh, I'm going to do that when I kind of get things in order but every week in a tangible, real way, you say no. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you hate God or you're greedy. It's not that at all. It's these little subtle things inside of us that keep holding on for dear life to our nose when we know we should say yes. And for many people who've been Christians a long, long time, that financial piece, that trusting God with your resources is still the holdout where they keep saying no to God. And they've been saying it for years. You know that a yes to God is best, but you just can't let go of your no. You got any of those in your life? Well, today we're going to look at a defining moment, and it's a moment of yes. And the power of this yes changed this person's life, and it changed the lives of those around them. In fact, his yes is why we're reading about this story today. We get to read about his story because he said yes to Jesus. And I want to be really clear about my hope, my goal if you will for the time that we're together over the next few moments. My hope and my prayer all week has been that you would say yes to God today. That's it. It's really simple. I'm giving you the ending at the beginning. I want you to say yes to God in whatever way he's leading you in whatever way he's inviting you to do that in big and small ways. I want you to say yes to God because when you look at what happens when this person does, it has the power to define your life and transform you from here on out. So I want us to grab a Bible and we're going to look at this one story, this yes moment, and it's found in Matthew chapter 9. So if you brought a Bible with you, great. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 or pull it up on your phone. If not, would you grab a gray Bible and a pen, please? A couple things I want us to pay attention to in this text. Everyone can grab a gray Bible and turn to page 680 in the gray Bible. Page 680 is Matthew chapter 9. Again, grab a pen if you want. If you don't own a Bible and you want to know more about who this God is and you happen to end up here in church today, then we want you to steal a Bible from church today. Nothing would make us happier than you stealing a Bible from church. So I'm really serious. If you don't have a Bible, steal a Bible. Now, if you give this Bible to your dad next week on Father's Day, shame on you. All right, but 
If you need it, steal it, and we want you to have it. Matthew chapter 9, let me give you some quick context. We're at the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. This would define the last three years of his life before the cross and before the resurrection. And uh, this is where the bulk of the four gospel accounts kind of take place, is in these last three years. And so this is the beginning of that. And Jesus is calling followers, what we would call disciples, he's calling them to himself. He's, he's putting the band together, okay? So he's calling all these folks to come and, and it's, they all have their own little defining moments of yes with Jesus. We're gonna look at one of them right now where Jesus comes to a man named Matthew who's the last person on the list you'd think Jesus would choose. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, kind of picking up from the events that were already taking place at this point in the story, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, look at Jesus' powerful speech, his sermon that he gives, his compelling use of language here. Jesus simply says, follow me. He doesn't need to add anything else to it. Follow me. Follow me. It's an invitation. Follow me. Follow me. And Matthew, it says, this is what's so amazing, got up and followed him. He actually did what Jesus said. He said, yes, this is a powerful moment. Jesus calls Matthew, says, follow me, and he gets up immediately and follows him. Now, it's really easy to miss the power of this defining moment if you don't pay attention to some of the details. So let me kind of give a little bit more context as to what's going on here. Uh, first of all, you, you have to understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus is a rabbi. He was a religious leader. In fact, he held one of the most respected and recognized positions of spiritual authority in his culture, in his society, in his day. Jesus was a rabbi, gave him the authority to teach in the synagogue. It's why you have several accounts throughout the New Testament where Jesus just begins teaching in the synagogue. Only rabbis held the authority to be able to do that. And that's what Jesus is. He's a religious leader. He's a rabbi. He's respected. And every rabbi in those days and to this day as well had followers, disciples that they would call and they would teach their ways to because one day the rabbi knew that they would not be here any longer and they wanted some folks to carry on their teaching, their way, their interpretation of God, of Bible, of life, of all of it. So that's what Jesus is doing. Not uncommon to call disciples. But what is uncommon is who Jesus calls. Because to be a rabbi in that day was a lot of work. In fact, only the best of the best sought to be rabbis, and only the best of the best of the best actually ever became rabbis. These are people who knew the Bible inside and out, knew every one of the laws, knew all of Torah, knew it all. And this is no joke. This is a full-time gig to be a rabbi and no paycheck involved, no benefits program, no casual Fridays. Like it was a life calling and commitment that Jesus had given and made. And so he's calling his disciples. So it would make sense that you would want to go after the best of the best to carry on in your tradition. But that's not what Jesus does here. What do we see Jesus doing? Jesus goes to Matthew and invites Matthew to follow him. Matthew doesn't ask if he can follow Jesus. Matthew would never dream of doing something like that. He would never be so bold as to say, can I follow you? Because Matthew knew who he was. Matthew was a tax collector. And this was about as low a position as you could hold on the social totem pole in his day. And it's hard for us to even grasp it, but these were hated and despised folks. I mean, they had about as much... Uh, tax collectors had as, about, uh, as much love in their day as, uh, uh, say, tax collectors do in our day today. So, I mean, it's not just so, I, for those of you who work at the IRS, um, we love you. We're glad we're here. Um, 
But not a lot of respect, because here's what the tax collectors in Jesus' day did. They were Jews. They were part of the culture, okay? So they were Jews who worked for the occupying and the oppressive Roman government. Rome occupied uh, Jerusalem, Israel, all of this, Judea, all of the surrounding area were all occupied by the Roman Empire. And so what these tax collectors would do is they would work within their community to get taxes from the people to fuel the empire to continue to be oppressive in an occupying empire, okay? But what the Roman officials did was they gave the tax collectors kind of an unwritten, unspoken rule, like kind of turn the other way, you know, the kind of the Chicago way. They let them take whatever they could off the top of that. So after they'd paid the Roman officials what they needed to in taxes, the tax collectors were allowed to skim anything and everything they could get off the top. So they were notorious for running people over with all kinds of absurd taxes. And it didn't matter if you had already paid the tax, they could tax you again and tax you again and tax you again. This is why they had such a terrible reputation. Imagine someone who at any given moment, say you're you know, just sitting, walking out to get in your car uh, here after church today, and at any given moment, this tax collector could come up to you and have you kind of go through all the contents of your car and tax you for every item you have laying around in your car right now. So I don't know if you keep a clean car or a messy car. If you keep a messy car, you'd be in trouble because they'd tax you for every single one of those items. And then not only that, they would actually charge you in that moment a road repair tax. You'd have to pay a road repair tax in that moment, just right there, even if you'd already paid it earlier that year. They would also charge you uh, in that, you know, a day, I guess it would be a donkey emissions tax, I guess is what you'd have to call it. So they could charge you a donkey emissions tax right there in the moment. And they would actually even tax your donkey to have the right to be able to park in that city. And in fact, then they could go on and actually tax you by the hour that you parked in front of said space in that city. Can you imagine a culture like that? It happened, people. It's in the Bible. And it's right outside. So they had a terrible, terrible, terrible reputation. No one loved them. Everyone despised them. And in fact, it's not entirely all that hard to imagine because of where Matthew had his tax collector's booth set up and how he would charge people, it was in the same community that four other followers of Jesus had just had defining moments and said yes to Jesus. Four other folks, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, most likely had been taxed by Matthew at some point or ripped off by Matthew at some point, just the, given the way the community worked in that day. Think about that. How fun was that first small group together? <laughs> Hey, remember that one time you ripped me off and then did it again and then did it again? So Jesus knew what he was doing. He was stirring things up. And so he chooses Matthew to be his disciple. This is who Jesus chooses to be his friend. Now, some of the most progressive rabbis in Jesus' day might have taught that we should be kind to tax collectors, but none would ever actually choose one to be their disciple. But that's what Jesus does. And the text tells us, as we saw, without delay, Matthew said yes to Jesus. He got up from his desk, locked up his shop for the last time, literally locked it up and left it and followed Jesus for the rest of his life. There wasn't a moment's hesitation. Didn't ask if he could sleep on it. Didn't shop around for a better rabbi. Didn't read any of Jesus's reviews. Didn't ask him to lay out his five-year plan. He left everything in an instant in a defining moment and said yes 
to Jesus without a second guess. Without a second guess. And without even realizing it, Matthew was teaching us something that you may already know without even realizing it, or you may have already experienced without even realizing it, is that you can actually miss God's best when you second guess your yes. You can miss God's best for your life when you second guess your yes. When you kind of hem and you haw and you weigh all your options, you can miss God's best for your life. When you're second guessing, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I should, what will it mean? I'm not sure, I don't know if I say yes to God in this little area or this big area of my life. If I actually say yes, what's that gonna actually mean for my life? You can miss God's best when you second guess your yes to him. And we're all pros at our pros and cons list and kind of considering all of our options. But what we see in Matthew is he did not second guess his yes. Jesus said, follow me. He said, you bet, yes. It was a defining moment that changed the course of his life. And I've had my own fair share of second-guessed yeses in my life, things I wish I would have just said yes sooner to God. In fact, the first time I visited this city, I had one of those. Uh, it was October of 1993. Some of you weren't even walking yet, but at that time, uh, I visited Chicago and I fell in love. I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with someone who lived in the city named Jeannie. And I knew I was supposed to be here. I was gonna come here, I was checking out a college to finish here downtown, finish my education. And I, I knew it was a yes to God. And I was so thrilled and so excited to do it. So it's October of 1993. I remember it vividly. I remember the walks that I went down on Wells Street. I remember my first slice of Malnati's pizza. I knew God was in it. And he wanted me to be here. And so it was so clear to me to come. And in August of 1995, I finally got here. I spent almost two years second-guessing my yes. I went home fired up and, oh, God is moving. I know I'm supposed to be here. It's so clear. It's a yes. I know it's going to be hard and complicated, but I'm going to do it. And then I got home. And all the confines of comfort begin to conspire against me. And I thought, oh, you know what? I, mean, I, have a, I, mean, I have a good thing going here too. I mean, look how I've spent most of my life here. I lived in San Francisco at the time, the Bay Area. And so it's like, oh, I got so many friends here. I have a great church here. I mean, Gigi and I can date long distance. We'll make it work. We'll make it happen. And I can kind of defer. I'll find another school around here. And so I began to second guess what I knew was a yes to God. And it took me almost two years to get here. And I'm being really honest with you. There have been many times that I've wondered, I wondered what I missed. And it doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful, God wasn't good, still ended up with the girl, still ended up in Chicago, <laughs> still ended up at that school, but I wonder what I missed. That I miss God's best for me because I was busy second-guessing my yes for him. So what we see here in Matthew is Complete opposite response of that. It's yes in an instant, and it's yes for a lifetime. And you ever wonder why that is? Have you ever heard this story before of, well, Jesus just says, follow me, and he just gets up and goes and follows him? You ever wonder why it is that he did it? It certainly wasn't because he was a holy man. We already know that. And he just sensed God leading. It wasn't because he was a man of prayer. Doubtful. 
It wasn't because he had a circle of godly wisdom that was helping him listen to God. It wasn't that. Maybe it was because he had heard of Jesus at this point. Jesus was teaching a lot in this area. Maybe he had actually heard Jesus teach and he heard the words of life that Jesus has. Maybe he'd heard about the miracles and what Jesus was already beginning to do in his public ministry. Or maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was something more. Maybe he had heard that this rabbi was doing something that no other rabbi could do. This rabbi was forgiving sins. This rabbi was giving people like him a fresh start and a new life. And if there's anything he desperately desired, it was that. And so the second this rabbi came to his table and said, follow me, he said yes without a second guess, without even a moment's hesitation. And he refused to keep his yes to himself. I love where the text goes from here. Verse 10, let's read it together. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, pause, Matthew throws a party for Jesus. He was so excited that Jesus invited him and he got to say yes to Jesus. He said, we need to celebrate. We're having a party. You're the guest of honor. I'm going to invite all my friends. Come to my house tonight. And I love that Jesus said yes to that invitation. So there's Jesus having dinner at Matthew's house. And what does the text say? Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So you got to kind of, it makes sense, doesn't it? When you're a tax collector, like you're contact list is shady at best. All right. So who are you going to, who's getting that evite? You know, it's other tax collectors and sinners, the people that you feel safe and comfortable with at the bottom of the totem pole. So that's who he invites to come to the party with Jesus. And Jesus is actually there with him. In fact, I love the way that the Weymouth New Testament translation uh, describes this moment. It says this, and while he was reclining at table, a large number of tax collectors and what's the word? And notorious sinners were part of the party of Jesus' disciples. I love that phrase. It makes you wonder, what do you got to do to get on the notorious sinners list? These folks had accomplished that. They were varsity level sinners. And Jesus is there. And please pay special attention to the fact that Jesus is not at a safe distance from them. He is at home with them. He is at the table with them. He's not over in the corner asking the DJ to play something more positive and encouraging. <laughs> he's completely at home. And he's creating a safe space. And it's not to say that he condones their choices and all of that, but he doesn't condemn them. And he's at the table sharing it with them. And it's a wonderful party. But the text tells us not for long because they weren't the only ones at the party. Some other religious leaders called Pharisees, and these were letter of the law leaders. These are folks who like, applied every single letter of the law to their life and, and really prided themselves on being keepers of the law. They end up, these religious leaders end up crashing the party. These are folks who avoid parties, usually. They end up crashing the party, which is very true of what religion does. It tends to crash the party, and so that's what they do. Verse 11, this is what happens. It says that when the Pharisees saw this, that Jesus was at home, that he was comfortable, that he was at the table with these notorious sinners, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You can hear the judgment in their tone. 
And you gotta love what they're doing. They're attacking these new disciples. Again, Matthew had been a disciple at this point for about six hours. All right, he's new to this whole thing. And what they're doing is they're saying, you've chosen the wrong rabbi. You've aligned yourself with the wrong person. Clearly, he doesn't get it. Look at who he's with. Now, just a quick little pop quiz. All the answers have been on the board so far. So just a little pop quiz real quick. Who is their issue with? Who does the text say their issue is with? Jesus. And again, safe answer in church. Usually the right answer. So you never got them out. <laughs> their problem is with Jesus. But who do they go to with their problem about Jesus? His disciples. They don't go straight to him. They, go, they take the side door. And they go to his disciples and they begin, what is the problem with your teacher? Doesn't he get it? Doesn't he know what it means to follow after God's own heart? How could he possibly align himself with these types of folks? How could you align yourself with him? Odds are they had had a few run-ins already with Jesus and their self-righteous confrontations did not go well. So they go after his followers. But Jesus hears them, and if there were a DJ, this would be the record scratch moment. (laughs) Verse 12, it says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy. Now listen to this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, he says. I desire mercy not sacrifice. For I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I am about love over the law. Love always precedes the law. Mercy always precedes sacrifice. And Jesus says, that's what I'm about. I'm not about making healthy people feel better and giving them all kinds of things to make them feel great about themselves. I'm here for the sick and the separated, the lost and the lonely, who thought they didn't stand a chance with God and who are willing to admit that they need him and maybe, just maybe, willing to say yes to him. Jesus doesn't ask folks to clean up their lives before they come to him. He just says, come to me and I'll transform your life from the inside out. I've come for the sick and the separated, the lost and the lonely, not all of those who think they have it all figured out. I love the way Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors, spiritual writers, describes this moment and this mission of Jesus. He says this, he says, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, praise God, but for the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. See, this is a defining moment for Jesus as he makes clear his heart and a part of what is the core of his mission. He says, look, let me be really clear. I am for those who need me. If you don't need me, we have nothing to talk about. But if you're willing to admit that you don't have it all figured out, that you don't have it all together, if you're willing to say yes to me, then look out. We'll change the world together. 
your life will be changed from the inside out. We'll change the population and the landscape of eternity together. That's what Jesus can do with your yes. But as long as you keep saying no, you keep missing out on God's best, on that for your life. And I thought of this a couple weeks ago, just how powerful this invitation is for ordinary, everyday folks like you and me, like Matthew, for notorious sinners like you and me. I thought about it as we were celebrating baptism a couple weeks ago. It was such a powerful moment for our church. And as I had the privilege, Kurt and I had the privilege to baptize so many folks, some of whom I know their story and some of whom I was just meeting for the very first time that day. A couple, this was their first day at church, at Soul City Church, and they were baptized. They've been putting it off for their whole life, and they came and they said, well, clearly that's why I'm here today, and they got baptized. And I thought as I got to look in their eyes and I got to talk with them and pray with them just for a moment, that this is really the picture of what it's all about. Because of all the folks we baptized that day, I didn't baptize a single super spiritual person. There wasn't one person in that water who thought they had it all figured out, who thought they had it all kind of put together and didn't need God. Every person we baptized was totally different, but just like you and me. Single moms, soccer moms, folks who are successful by the world standards, folks who are really in a bad run right now, single folks, married folks, divorced folks, children, Adults, rich, poor, all of them different. But they all had this in common. Not a single one of them was in that water because they figured it all out. They were there because they knew and they wanted you to know that they need God desperately. They put on display their need for God. And I think that's really what it's all about, is that when you can come to the point that you say, I don't have it figured out, I can't do it all on my own, that's when you're ready for a yes to God. That's when you're ready for a yes to God. And that's what they all had in common. Every person we baptized here, it was their yes, it was part of their yes to God. Some of them had said yes to God many, many years ago. Some of them had just said yes to Jesus and wanted the world to know that they had said yes to him. We all have our fair share of no's that we've said to God. I know I have my own fair share of no's. Moments where I've missed out on God's best. And there's a ton of those no's that I've said to God where I knew he was inviting me into either deeper places of trust or to take a risk or to reach out and have a conversation with someone or to love someone who I determined was difficult to love. I know with every single one of those no's, there's a little level of regret in me. Oh, I wonder what would have happened if I might have. I wonder what would have happened if I did. But do you know that I have yet, I have yet to regret a yes to God. I thought about it really hard as I was preparing this message. There is not a single yes that I've said to God that I regret. Not a single one. And I... I hope and I want, I long for you to experience that too. I'm not saying any of those yeses have been easy. 
or have gone as I planned or as I thought or led me where I thought I was going to go. But I have yet to regret saying yes to God. A single time. Can't think of one. And so what we want to do is provide you the opportunity to say yes to God today, however, wherever that may be. This is what life with God looks like. It's a series of saying yes to him. And so where do you need to say yes today? Are there places in your life right now that you're saying no to God? And you, you know it. I mean, you wouldn't call it that, but if you were to be really honest, you're just saying no. You're putting your foot down. You're taking a stand. You're not going to give in. You don't want to give in. Maybe it has to do with your work and it has to do with a place where God's inviting you to deeper integrity and how you work and not just doing it like everyone else does at work. And every day, every week, you know what, God, no, not this week. You don't get it. You don't get how it works here. Or there's someone at work that you know God's giving you a little nudge to talk to, maybe even to invite to join you here on a Sunday to have a deeper, more maybe even spiritual conversation with. And you just keep saying no for whatever reason. You keep avoiding it. You keep saying no. Maybe there's some no's in your relational world where maybe God has convicted you about a really unhealthy, unhelpful relationship in your life and you know it. You know it. But you keep holding out. You keep saying no to God so you can say yes to your way. Or maybe there's a broken relationship where we talked about with forgiveness a little bit ago where you know, even as I say the words, your heart is hurting inside of you because you've carried this burden of unforgiveness for so long. Are you going to keep saying no to that today? Or might you just say yes? Yes, I will forgive them. God, if you can forgive me, certainly I can forgive them. Or maybe for you it's actually beginning a relationship with God or coming back home into a relationship with God. Maybe you've been second guessing that yes. Maybe it's something you said a long time ago as a kid, but then, you know, life happened and you kind of forgot about God and you've been spending the bulk of your life second guessing that yes. Or you've been saying no for a long time to God, but maybe today is the day. In fact, the whole entire reason you're here and hearing what God is saying right now is so that you would finally say yes to him that you'd say yes to a relationship with him, that you would stop trying to do it on your own, that you'd be willing to admit that you don't have it figured out. Like Matthew, you would jump up from the table and say, whatever, if you would say yes to me, then certainly I will say yes to you. And that really is the underlining truth that we see in the story of Matthew, and it really is the underlining truth of your life and of mine, whether we realize it or not is that Jesus actually already said yes to you. Him coming here to this world, him dying for you and for me, for notorious sinners like us, he already said yes to you so that you can always say yes to him. He already said yes to you. He proved it through his death and resurrection. His body and his blood are the evidence that we need that he said yes to you. Even though you may have convinced yourself that God would never accept you, he already actually said yes to you so that you can always in any circumstance, in every circumstance, say yes to him. In big and small ways, you can actually say yes to a God who already says yes to you. So I want you to have the opportunity to say yes today. So what I want to do is lead us in a prayer and then we're going to have a moment of reflection and remembrance. But I want to give the opportunity for anyone who wants to start a relationship with Jesus today 
or who wants to come back, maybe get things back in order. You've been kind of wandering in one foot in, one foot out for too long, and today's the day you say, I want to have the faith of Matthew to just stand up and say, yes, I'll follow you. I'm all in with you today, Jesus. I'm back. I'm home. So I'm going to ask if you would, it helps if we close our eyes, maybe put anything out of your hands that might be distracting you. In fact, we take a posture of prayer around here where we open our hands and we have this posture of openness. And today, I just want to pray a really simple prayer. They're going to have a moment of reflection and response to God. But I just, I want you to have the chance to say yes. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss God's best. Not another day of your life. And so if it helps you to close your eyes and open your hands, and I want anyone who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus or who wants to come back home to Jesus. You've been wandering for so long and you thought God had rejected you and you thought God was punishing you and that God was going to make you pay, but the truth is he's already said yes to you coming home to him. His yes comes before yours. And so I want to encourage you to pray with me right now. In your own words or just follow along. You can pray out loud, pray in your heart with these words. And so will you join me in this prayer? Jesus, I say yes to you today. Thank you for saying yes to me. Thank you for loving me before I knew who you were. Thank you for sending your son whose death and resurrection forgives notorious sinners like me. I choose you today. I say yes to you today. And I commit to living my life with you. Help me to not second guess my yes, but to walk with you every step of the way. Thank you for loving me. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. What a powerful yes moment, a defining moment for you to mark this day as the day that you said yes again or said yes for the first time to God. And we want to mark this moment for you. And so we're going to do something we regularly do around here. We want to receive the elements of communion. And this is a practice that goes all the way back to the life of Jesus where he knew how forgetful we were and how much we would second guess our yes. And so he gave us these simple little elements of bread and of the cup. And they're a way to remind us of God's yes to you through his body and through his blood, and our chance to say yes to him by responding to him. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask our volunteers to pass out the elements. All you need to do is take a little piece of bread and a little piece of cup. And for those of you who just prayed that prayer, whatever way you prayed it, this is going to be a powerful moment for you to mark. I don't want you to forget it. So just take those elements, hold them. All the bread's gluten-free so everyone gets to play. So I want you to grab a piece of bread, grab the cup and just hold on tight for a moment. I'll come back and lead us through a response in just a second.